Zero Business podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of some of the world's most ambitious business emissions reductions targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our monthly podcast series focusing on the growing need for organisations of all sizes and in all sectors to set credible net zero emissions goals and develop supporting strategies. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be bringing you this episode, which is our first Net Zero Business Podcast of 2022. So if you're tuning in, a, a very belated and a very happy new year. We've been hosting this podcast since early 2020, and at that point, many organisations were first attempting to get ahead of the political curve, strengthening their energy and carbon strategies and pledging to become net zero well before the 2050 deadline legislated for in 2019 here in the UK, where the ED team are based. The net zero discussion has only become broader and evolved more quickly in the months that have followed. Near the end of 2021, Net Zero Tracker posted its post-COP26 stock take, revealing that targets from nations, cities and regions now cover a record 90% of GDP and 88% of global annual emissions. In this context, it is super valuable to speak to the people working behind the scenes to develop and implement credible net zero strategies, whether that is in the public sector or the private sector. This is exactly why this podcast was created. Essentially, in each episode, which is 40 minutes tops, we take a deep dive into the decarbonisation strategy of a particular guest organisation. And today it is the turn of Kingfisher, which is probably best known for its brands like B&Q and Screwfix. So this is Kingfisher the retailer, not to be confused with Kingfisher the beer. The company is part of the British Retail Consortium's Climate Action Roadmap, which is uniting dozens of retailers on the transition to net zero by 2040 in a science-based manner aligned with limiting the global temperature increase to a maximum of 1.5 C. Kingfisher itself recently announced updated science-based targets verified in line with that 1.5 C trajectory. The targets are to reduce direct and power-related emissions, that's scopes 1 and 2, from property and transport by 38% by 2025. There's a 2016 baseline for that target. There is also a target for scope 3 in direct emissions covering the supply chain and the customer end use of products. This is an intensity based target of 40% emissions reductions by 2025 and that one has a 2017 baseline. So in today's episode we're speaking with Kingfisher's Group Director of Responsible Business and Sustainability, Caroline Laurie to learn a little bit more about its work on climate and the development of those targets. Caroline is a long-standing friend of Edie, so it was great to catch up with her earlier this month for this chat, covering everything from COP26 to eco-certification to colleague engagement. 
So without further ado, let's play Caroline's chat for you on the Net Zero Business podcast. A very good morning to you, Caroline. How are you doing? And thank you so much for coming on our Net Zero Business podcast. I'm very well, thank you. And it's lovely to join you this morning. Yeah, it's lovely to see you, albeit virtually. I know we'd normally see each other in person quite a lot. And it's been, yeah, it's been a while. We were just saying off the call that you used to be pretty regular guest on our podcast, but it's been a little while. Um, it has been. It's been too long, too too long to see um, everyone face to face. Of course. And it's been, obviously, last year was a, a whirlwind year. So obviously, we're going to get into the um, under the skin of what Kingfish is doing in regards to the climate emergency in this episode. But before then, it, it probably bears recapping um, on what you were up to last last year. Were you at COP? Um, I'm virtually at COP, yes. Um, so we took part in four events with different partners. So um, I spoke on a couple of panels with the Race to Zero retail breakthroughs alongside the likes of IKEA, Walmart, H&M and Best Buy, which is really great. And also um, alongside Rainforest Alliance as part of our Forest Allies initiative um, that we're founding partners of. And again, we'll come on to that in a bit more depth shortly. Of course, I I would say you've missed something by being in Glasgow, but you missed a lot of walking. Sure. We we could we couldn't get tickets into the main event, so um I I had to join from home, which um like you say I can't t- decide whether that was a blessing or a curse. No, there were so many tickets. I think it was nearly forty thousand issued, which was way more than for COP twenty five. But even then, the venue filled up um s- super quickly. So I'd say there's definitely pros um pros and cons. <laughs> For sure. Biggest con for a lot of people being getting the trains from London when, you know, uh, trees had fallen on the track on the first day. <laughs> but no, for some reason, that all feels like worlds, uh, worlds away now. And I know, it way, really does, doesn't it? Yeah. In a way, quite happy to start the new year um, and to yeah restart our Net Zero Business podcast for the new year. So um, Caroline is kindly our first guest of the new year. Um, on this episode. So it's time to, as I said, take a little bit of a closer look at what um, you guys have been doing in regards to climate in 2021 since we last had a catch up. Um, And one of the big announcements that I've seen from Kingfisher since we last did an exclusive interview um, was publication of updated science-based targets, um, bringing the threshold from 2C to 1.5C. Um, so I wanted to get um, get your thoughts on that on that process and why it was really important for Kingfisher to do that at that moment in time. Lovely. Thanks for the question. I'm going to give you a bit of history about the whole science based targets piece, because I think it's really useful for those listening. So I think from memory, we signed up to have science based targets around about 2016. And um, it actually took us about two years to develop our two degree aligned targets because we were really committed to making sure that we'd done really detailed modelling and embedded it within our business so that we really knew the steps we would need to take to deliver that. Um, the sorts of investments we would need to make. And we actually went back and forth with the SBTI a couple of times in that process, particularly around scope three, which for retailers is super tricky. You know, we've got very big complex supply chains and really grappling with how we could 
meaningfully decarbonise those um, was a, was a big challenge, and it is a big challenge for retail. So we took a long time developing that, and we were really pleased to get that signed off. And then obviously the goalposts changed, and it became very apparent that the name of the game was now 1.5 degree aligned targets. So we went back with our group exec and our senior leadership and reviewed our targets. I was lucky because our scope three target that covers our products and our supply chain was already at that higher level of ambition. But for our own portfolio, so our stores and our logistics, we did need to up our game. So we reviewed our plans and did super detailed modelling over about nine months with really detailed investment plans. And um, we worked up a plan that made it clear that we would be able to deliver that 1.5 degree target. We then submitted it and we're delighted to get it signed off. So, um, and that really covers all areas like the fact that we're now buying renewables across the vast majority of our markets. We have one of the largest fleet of gas trucks in the UK, which obviously use considerably less carbon than uh, diesel trucks. And we've rolled out really aggressively air source heat pumps across our screw fix portfolio, which is our smaller store formats. I think we've got somewhere in the region of about 130 stores running with air source heat pumps now. So not only have we got the target, but we're really confident that we're taking the actions to deliver it. Great. I mean, my next question was going to be advice and learnings for others undergoing that. But from what you've said, uh, detailed modelling, definitely. And as you mentioned, that strategy and investment consideration, it's not just, oh, we can put a percentage on our supply chain. It's how will we invest in those technologies? Absolutely. I mean, we have we have a leadership that are passionate about not just making sort of empty commitments, but that really want to know the year by year roadmap and plans and investment required to deliver those and then have those embedded within each of our markets. So B&Q and know exactly the actions they've got to take the same with Iberia and Romania. Um, I would say to people it takes a long time to do this properly so don't underestimate the type of investment you're going to have to make but that it's really worth doing and it's really worth getting that stamp from the SBTI we get asked about it a lot from investors and external stakeholders and it makes a real difference to have somebody else marking your homework in this space Great. Well, lots of good takeaways there. And I wanted to come on to as as well something that you've already mentioned, the race to zero breakthroughs for retail, which was from looking back um, at our coverage and at the Kingfisher Press website, um, the other big climate announcement from the business in 2021. Um, and you've told us a little bit about the events that you guys were showcasing at COP to bring attention to that. Um, but it'd be great to hear a little about how that worked behind the scenes, because, as you say, some of some of these retailers have a presence in the UK, like IKEA. Um, but then you've also got your Best Buy and, and your Walmart. Um, so, yeah, how did that work to, to set that up? So um, in the lead up to COP, we got approached about um, joining a collaboration of retailers that had 1.5 degree aligned science based targets. Um, and it, it's the kind of party you want to be part of alongside the likes of IKEA, H&M, Walmart, 
um, who were doing really exciting stuff in this space. So um, we, we knew it was something we wanted to be part of. And it really is aimed at supporting and inspiring the retail population to get on the same journey. Um, and I'm very fortunate in that I come from a business with a 30-year heritage in the space of responsible business and sustainability. And we, ha we have a lot of resources and expertise within our business. And of course, other retailers that aren't as big or don't have the same heritage aren't in the same place. And it's about looking about how we can really support retailers on that journey. I think one of the most exciting developments from the Race to Zero Retail Breakthroughs Initiative is the Accelerator campaign, which aims to bring on board trade associations that will then support their members and provide them with a toolkit to help them get on this journey. So they don't feel like they're tackling it alone. And the British Retail Consortium, who've done some really exciting stuff in this space, were the first to sign up to that accelerator. And we're working with the Race to Zero alongside the other members now to develop a toolkit of resources that these trade associations can use. We're also um, ourselves at Kingfisher engaging heavily with our own trade association, which is Edrogin, the European DIY Retail Association and the Global Home Improvement Association to, to encourage and have a dialogue with members about moving forward on this decarbonisation agenda. Yeah, here at ED, we're definitely seeing more trade associations get involved as well. We recently had a webinar with the Zero Carbon Forum on, which is essentially doing that sort of thing, but in the in the food and brewing industry. Brilliant. So it's, it's clear to see how trade associations really have those connections and that that ripple effect. And they told us about the benefits of collaboration there um, being things like co-investing and studying um, innovative technologies and that they might share suppliers are, are these some shared bonuses for for the retail sector what what are the bonuses of collaboration absolutely collaboration is key in this agenda i think we're learning from each other all the time about how to build really robust scope three carbon targets what technologies we're seeing coming forward in the likes of logistics and property portfolios so as part of the british retail consortium we work across multiple um, work streams as part of their roadmap to net zero learning from other members and sharing sharing knowledge i mean another big um another big announcement that came out of cop was around the government's uh requirement for businesses to disclose a climate action transition plan, net zero transition plans, and working with other retailers to look at what that will look like and what best practice will be in that space, I think is going to be really important this year. Yeah, we've done, we've done, sort of, we're in the process of doing, sorry, a policy look ahead um, to the year. So I, I feel like net zero transition plans is definitely going to be something that's keeping me up at night. <laughs> it's, it's becoming the name of the game, isn't it? And that there's so much regulation and reporting disclosure coming down the tracks. It can be quite hard to keep on top of all of that. And if we can work together to unpick it, it's going to make everybody's life easier. Of course. And, and Caroline, we've talked about sort of like external um, collaboration, but I'd like to also talk about in, internal collaboration as well. So we recently, I say recently, end of November last year, um, held some workshops in Birmingham and the, the busiest one by far was about um, engagement and communications. 
Um, so I wanted to ask you about that because Kingfisher has around 80,000 or so employees, as you mentioned, different brands, different geographies, different functions. Um, so I wanted to get your advice on communicating net zero um, with them, because I know that's something that a lot of people are, are mapping out their approach to for this year. Absolutely. And I'm not surprised it was one of the most popular sessions you run, because I think it's one of the trickiest things to do, to be honest with you. It's it's an agenda that is mired in technical jargon and, you know, really uh, very complex. I think what we saw during COP was more media coverage and more passion from consumers and colleagues to really find out more and really understand what businesses are doing to address this in a meaningful way. I think it's super important to communicate it in a way that is that resonates and is meaningful um, and to try and cut through that jargon. Um, it's not something that we've got all the answers for. We're still finding our way about how best to communicate it. I also think there's something around moving beyond talking about sort of targets that are a long way in the future to talking about what actions are we taking today? What actions can people take in their own jobs and begin to create a bit of a two-way dialogue on this agenda and build knowledge? Really interestingly, coming out of COP, one of my team wrote a kind of roundup of COP, top 10 things that came out of COP. And we we had, I think, about 4,000 colleagues engage with that post. And I think a year ago, you wouldn't have had that level of interest in this agenda. So we're beginning to see a sea change about people really wanting to talk and engage with this. Of course, and this is something we'll be keeping an eye on throughout the year. Obviously, it's our job to communicate <laughs> zero and sustainability. Um, but yeah, um, Caroline, so many great learnings here. So we've covered everything from reporting and, and disclosing to attending COP and collaborating and communication. So lots to lots to uh, lots of food for thought there. Um, so I will let you get going with the rest of your day. And thank you so much for your insight on this podcast. It's been lovely to talk to you this morning. Thank you, Sarah. So a big thank you once again to Caroline from Kingfish there and Edie will be keeping abreast of the company's sustainability work going forward. Of course the net zero movement has continued to gather pace beyond the networks of Edie and of Kingfisher so with that in mind it is time for our net zero news in brief. That's the part of this podcast where we summarise the headlines. It's been a quieter January than usual in sustainability news um, largely due to the postponement of the World Economic Forum's annual Davos conference that was meant to be this month but is now taking place this summer um, due to the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Nonetheless, there have been some big developments in the net zero conversation, so I'll pull out the top three stories for you now. Story one, I'm going to be starting with policy. Um, two separate court cases are being brought against the UK government for its net zero strategy. The claimants are Client Earth and Friends of the Earth, and both organisations say that this policy package is not detailed or ambitious enough to align with the UK's legally binding climate targets. When the Net Zero strategy was published last November, it was a shock to many that there weren't time-bound and specific sector goals for cutting emissions. Secondly, also in policy but moving over to the EU. The European Commission has extended until today, that's 21st of January 2022, if you're listening on our air date, um, the deadline for input to the Green Finance Taxonomy. The point of the taxonomy is to determine what financial activities can be classed as sustainable 
in light of the EU's 2050 net zero target and 2030 fit for 55 package. The big remaining sticking points here are natural gas and nuclear energy. And for our third story, we're coming on to business. Shipping giant AP Muller Maersk has moved its net zero target forward to 2040 from 2050. While brick manufacturer Ibstock has also announced a 2040 net zero target for its operations for the first time. Well, we're just about out of time and I'd like to thank you all for joining me for the Net Zero Business podcast. And thanks once again to Kingfisher for guesting. If you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have, please feel free to check out the rest of our Net Zero theme content on our website, ed.net. This is the first Net Zero Business podcast for 2022, but by no means the last. As we did last year, we'll be bringing you at least one of these episodes a month, as well as at least one a month of our long-standing sustainable business-covered podcasts, which will be making a return for 2022 very shortly. So watch this space. And you can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Edie wherever you get your podcasts. We host our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple and on Google Podcasts. I also want to flag that I am recording this just a matter of weeks before our Sustainability Leaders Forum, um, which is taking place at the Business Design Centre in London on new dates of March 8th and 9th. This is our biggest annual event and we'll be uniting dozens of speakers and hundreds of sustainability leaders for days of high-level keynote talks, panel discussions and interactive workshops. So if you've enjoyed our episode, why not come and meet the ED team in person there? Virtual tickets are also available for this hybrid event. For a full lineup and information on how to register, you can visit event.ed.net slash forum. That's event.ed.net forward slash forum. But for now, that really is everything for today on the Net Zero Business Podcast. So it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.